This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we get the inside take from actors, artists, and creators on their work, career, and the things they obsess about. I'm your host, Connie Guillermo. There are many ways to describe Benjamin Franklin. He's one of the founding fathers of the United States who helped draft and sign the Declaration of Independence. He helped set up our modern postal system, and he's credited with popularizing lending libraries. He also invented the lightning rod and bifocals. And according to award-winning filmmaker and historian Ken Burns, who chose Benjamin Franklin as the subject for his latest PBS documentary, Franklin, writer, scientist, inventor, diplomat, and political thinker, was also the first person to show the world what it meant to be an American. Thank you so much for joining us on I'm So Obsessed today. As a longtime uh, watcher of your many, many projects and documentaries, I live with a history buff who has made me a history buff as well. Uh, Your work is expansive and speaks for itself. And I was very curious about your choice Your new project that we're here to talk about in part is a documentary on Benjamin Franklin, which I was able to watch uh, before we spoke. So I've seen four hours about Benjamin Franklin. And I wanted to ask you, though, a couple of months ago, you said that you feared for this country and that there's a lot going on in this country that is make makes all of us who care about truth and facts and democracy you know, nervous. And you made a comment about it's going to take a concerted effort on the part of a lot of well-intentioned people not to just stand by and say, I don't agree with what's going on, but to somehow get involved in the political process and shore up these institutions. And you talked about Ben Franklin. This was in an interview I think you gave with Variety in January, having the kinds of talents to get smart people and passionate people together. So can you talk a little bit about that, about your fears (laughs) for the country and, you know, relate it to Franklin and why it's important that this documentary come out now. We live in a really challenged time. Lots of too many things going on all at the same time. Uh, there's obviously the looming big threat, seemingly slow moving, but not of climate change. There's been uh, a, a reckoning with our age old question in the United States of race and our inability to judge people, as Dr. King said, on the content of their character and not on the color of their skin. Women have with the Me Too movement said things. We've had our democratic institutions challenged by a former president who ran roughshod over them. The world has a lot of trouble spots. We're suffering through a historic uh, pandemic that doesn't seem willing to quit despite the best efforts of the best science that we have, aided and abetted by the same politicians who have exploited other things for their benefit. So if you can imagine a, an incredibly complicated intersection of seven or eight streets, that suddenly the streetlight has gone off. 
And we are required not to stand there and shake our heads and say, wow, what a sad accident that is. But we've got to get in there and, and, and be engaged in some way, shape or form, whatever's appropriate to us, to whatever the solutions may be. Maybe it's fixing the light bulb. Um, you know, the novelist Richard Power said, the, the best arguments in the world won't change a single person's point of view. The only thing that can do that do that is a good story. I'm in the business of trying to tell good stories and to remind people of the way in which we have agreed over the centuries to cohere, despite all of those problems. Look at the foreign policy debates right now with regard to the Ukraine. It used to be standing policy, despite disagreements and protests against wars and World War II, for example, and, and World War I and other things that, that, you know, foreign policy with regard to the politics of it stops at, you know, I mean, that, that politics stops at, at the border with regard to foreign policy. And that's not happening even today as we speak. So we've got to just tell stories, I believe. My, my responsibility, because I'm very fortunate to know what I'm supposed to be doing, is to try to tell stories in our past that help us sort of understand the way we've gotten through things like this before. A really way too long answer for your very simple and but terrifying question. Well, it's not a simple question because it speaks to something that you say you've said rightly that you focus on, which is telling stories. You can sway people with stories. So I was interested watching Benjamin Franklin, his views on uh, America evolved, you know, that he was first and foremost uh, thought of himself actually as a British subject at the beginning, but uh, unfairness, injustice, all of the things that would rile one finally made him realize that this was that he was an American, and you make that point very clearly in the movie, right man for the right time, but not just the right man, extraordinary man, right? This goes back to something you said on your, I watched a little clip on your website about how you pick people. One plus one equals three. You know, when things come together, they're more than the sum of their parts. And it's not so much that he's a three, he may be a hundred. Um, he's, he's, you know, I just finished a film that last film that came out was on Muhammad Ali, who was born on, on uh, January 17th. He's arguably the greatest American personality of the 20th century. Without a doubt, Benjamin Franklin, also born on January 17th. He's the first one to kind of imagine what it's like to be an American. All his life, he's trying to bring people together and all his life, he's trying to appeal to self-initiation. So he's not on the $100 bill for nothing, right? He is the epitome of American striving. But contrary to this kind of developed libertarian view where I owe nothing to nobody and government is best that governs least and all that sort of stuff, he's definitely for all of us getting together and sharing things. He's a great inventor. Let's not, we haven't even gotten to the science, but technologically wise, this is an incredibly important person. He invents all these things, which he holds without patent. He's not going to make money on it. This is stuff that benefits other people. And, you know, if you did that today, people would be horrified. And so there's something about Benjamin Franklin that touches all these aspects of us. And I think it's in the story of him that can remind us that the best aspects were the ones he saw that you could forge a compromise. He did more than just about anyone else. You could make the argument more than anyone else to win the revolution. We don't exist without Benjamin Franklin. And that's a hugely important thing. There's no, one, no American that's known anywhere except for Benjamin Franklin, who is known everywhere. 
Well, to your point, he embodied some sort of early idea of the American ideal, right? It was he helped form what the American ideal could be: self-made man, smart, problem-solving oriented. This is how we got the lightning rod, the bifocals. He was solving problems, right? And in a pragmatic, practical way, he was community-minded. You know, uh, for the greater good, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one, if you will, barring a Star Trek euphemism there. Um, and and he recognized right from wrong, even if he didn't act on it until he, it was expedient for him to do it. I give him credit for having always been self-aware, but you're right. The Star Trek thing gets itself from the United States. You just look on the dollar bill, e pluribus unum, out of many one. And this is what Franklin gets. You know, you you can consider yourself an independent free agent in the eyes of divine providence, in the eyes of the Lord, in the eyes of science. You know, he's the one who changed. Jefferson said we hold these truths to be sacred. He said to be self-evident. He's a scientist. Come on. These are uncontested facts. Two plus two equals four. And these rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which was not the acquisition of things, but lifelong learning in in a kind of atmosphere of of curiosity. That was what the founders meant by capital H happiness. And it wasn't even happiness. It was the pursuit. You knew you had to pursue it. They got it all. They got it all. Foibles and all. So why are we so far off today, do you think? I mean, you talked about we live in a time where someone, uh, our former president, is a storyteller of sorts and obviously a very effective one. My parents call that lying. (laughs) I believe it was the Washington Post uh, caught more than 30,000 lies just in the short time that that person was president. So, you know, there is storytelling, fabrication, and there's also the telling of stories, which is how human beings communicate. Honey, how was your day? You know, and that's that prompts a story. The reason that I raise that point is because it is counter to everything Ben Franklin obviously believed in. And this sense of community has has been lost. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're, we're arguing about wearing a piece of cloth over our mouth to prevent us from an infectious, deadly disease. So where does that come from? So the one of the first interviews I did for Franklin, somebody called up and said, what would Franklin think of social media today? And I said, he, he was social media. Like, Every, I mean, people somehow think it's the great arrogance of the present that we think that because we're alive and they're dead, that we must know so much more and we have so much more subtlety and knowledge and finesse about this stuff. It's bunk. Everybody's the same and always have been. There have been conversations as as interesting and more than the one you and I are having 10,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago. So if we can get over that. So what does Franklin do? He's a printer. He's a publisher of books and magazines and stamps and mail. He's he controls in these English seaboard colonies the flow of information. That's social media. And it's for the better good. Right. He's allowing ideas. There's humor and whatever. Our social media is asocial. Ever go into a room with teenagers? Do they do anything with each other? They think they are. They're not present. There's nothing social about their presence. 
actually social media is the isolation of the human being. And the problem is that, is that within the structures of social media are all the ingredients of tyranny. They're supposed to be democratic and liberation, but they also permit lies to be spread and to be spread maliciously without any effect to, to what they do. We are not allowed to scream fire in a crowded theater unless there's a fire. That is the limitation of free speech. But there is no such limitation throughout the internet. There are dunces everywhere. And that's because we've been dumbed down by this thing that was supposed to make us better. Same thing with television. It was going to be all these channels and there's going to be something new, different on everything. And it's the same everywhere. And this is why you last year called out Mark Zuckerberg as the enemy of the state. So I just want to make sure it's the lack of his stewardship. Every engine has a governor, right? You just you just turn it down. All you had to do was say, yeah, I might not make that many more billions, but I may be able to help the mental health of teenagers, just the mental health of children who over the last few decades from advertisements on television and in magazines, particularly for young women, but not entirely, body image has become a prison from which they cannot escape. There are um, bullying aspects to social media that have driven children to suicide. And we are failing them just in that one little slice of just youth mental illness. You know, there are so many pernicious aspects that my favorite technological device is this, a pencil, right? I write speeches. It works, right? If I make a mistake, the other end, guess what? It's an eraser. Nothing gets sent out until it's all done. There are no mistakes, right? Um, you, you, it, and the mistakes you make are there for your, for you to have to completely own, not to hide behind some fake I, I address or name or whatever there is. There's accountability, and you know that's, you know that's one tiny little area in which we've gone so badly, badly wrong. You mentioned PBS, and you've gone on record as saying PBS, the reason that you can do the work you do is because of PBS, because I know people have asked you about the rise of streaming services and the opportunity that that has given, uh, you know, to have more voices at least heard in that forum. Don't get me wrong. That's a really good change. There's so many new outlets for documentaries. I remember in the mid 80s, we all looked around and said, man, we're in a heyday of documentary. And that was before the explosion of cable, you know, and then premium cable, which gave opportunities for documentary and then standard cable, which suddenly realized, oh, this is so much cheaper to make, however badly made it is with cheesy reenactments and repetitions and commercials and all that sort of stuff. I just sort of felt that I needed to do deep and complete dives without commercial interruption. And I could have gone to streaming services and they'd give me the money that I needed. I could go to uh, a premium cable. And after the work that I've done over the last four or five decades, they'd give me the money that I needed, but they wouldn't give me the time that I need. I mean, it I took 10 and a half years to make our film on, on Vietnam. You know, that that's, that's a big, big, thing and you know franklin took more than two years and it's two it's just two parts and that's because we needed to find not just the archives it's not just the detective work it's it's understanding and coming to terms with the story that you can tell but also more importantly the much bigger story that you can't tell that said um ken burns do you binge watch 
Yeah, I, I at times it's sort of accidental. I'm such an old guy. Uh, I was born in 1953 that I still wonder what part of the universe would break if I suddenly press the button that says start from beginning, you know, let alone appointment television, let alone DVRing. But yeah, you know, there's there's a, a few things that I'll just watch and watch and watch that I like that's out of my Ken, no pun intended, you know, like a homeland. I, I in fact, the, 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 you know, this is a confession. I've, then um, my youngest was, uh, was nine and I was watching with them, which I should have never done, uh, homeland, having to cover their eyes and having to explain statecraft and geopolitics of the Taliban and bin Laden and all this sort of stuff. But I uh, had... Um, uh, this epiphany, I said, oh, my God, Mandy Patinkin, who she knows as, you know, Princess Bride and Nico and, Montoya. Yeah, exactly. Um, I go, I go, this is this is Benjamin Franklin. And I went to him and he said yes. And he was so wonderful and he embodied it. And now he says it's it's of the three things. It's the three most important things he's done with Sunday in the Park with George, Princess Bride and this. I go, what about Saul in Homeland? Which was that was okay, But, you know, this really means something to me. But, you know, I'll I'll binge watch that. Uh, you know, for a while, it's it's so well written, but I don't have much time to do that. I'm a, I'm addicted to sports, which occupies, as you can imagine, a lot of time. Baseball and football fan, and I'm addicted to news, so I want to be informed. And you know, I'm a filmmaker, so I want to see other people's films. You know, and I want to see them uh, as fast as I can. I don't mean just documentaries. I I, I go to Telluride Film Festival when they're not pandemics every year, thirty straight years until. 2020, just to soak it up and see 18 films in two and a half, three days. You've told me what your favorite piece of technology is, which is your pencil and eraser. If you could have any piece of tech invented for you, Ken Burns, what would it be? I don't know what I need invented. I need more time, more space. I'm not, if I were given a thousand years to live, um, I would not run out of topics in American history. I am not going to be given um, Connie a thousand years to live. So it's like, I'm working on seven films right now because I can't not, you know, I'm very excited. I'm a, I'm, I'm totally into, we're making Franklin, but we're also doing the first non-American topic on Leonardo da Vinci. Talk about scientists and talk about inventor and talk about artists all in the same person where, where Franklin has this great literary and humorous side. Uh, he's got that inventive thing and, 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 and Leonardo who is a gay, illegitimate, I don't think you can say that anymore, child. Um, he's he's like arguably the man of the last millennia, you know, I mean. and Self-made men, that's what you're interested in. And self-made and just so omnivorously curious, just just noticing everything about nature. And that's so, that's such an inspiring thing to be involved in. So I was looking at your next projects that you were talking about maybe doing Obama, um, LBJ, you mentioned Da Vinci. I, what about a woman having her be the sole subject of a... Well, I made a film about uh, in 1990, well, for several years, it came out in 99, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony, and we made sure that Eleanor had equal voice in the Roosevelt's. It wasn't the two Roosevelt's Theodore and Franklin, but it was Theodore Franklin and Eleanor, and she completely held her own. I want to be clear and say you you have covered and you include women throughout your work and you are a strong advocate and voice and giving them a platform to speak 
I was just looking at the names of some of your documentary. It's, you know, a lot of American history is, uh, is dominated by that. Um, the larger topics like the America and the Holocaust are, are filled with the story of women. Women actually do important things where the men fail to do in, in many cases. I mean, Benjamin Franklin's own story is a perfect example. The famous thing that comes out of the Constitutional Convention is this woman, Elizabeth Willing Powell, one of the leading ladies of Philadelphia, walks out, uh, walks up to Dr. Franklin when the doors on that stifling summer were finally thrown open of what is now Independence Hall and said, well, you know, uh, doctor, have what have you made, a, a monarchy or a republic? And he said, a republic, if you can keep it, right? Which is famous and wonderful. But he's talking to a woman, which means that the Constitutional Convention considered zero bubkis of what they were. They had no rights, none. In a divorce, they got the clothes on their back. Did they get their children, get they, the property that they brought to the marriage? Nada nothing. They, they had no legal standing, couldn't serve on juries, nothing, and nothing in the Constitutional Convention addressed that. And so, you know, we're, that's more than half our population. And it would be 144 years from 1776 before women could even ac exercise the right to vote, and we still won't pass an equal rights amendment. So it's, you know, kind of don't get me started. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I read that you are an avid quilt collector, but I don't know if that's your obsession. So let me ask you, why do you collect quilts? I, 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 I collect quilts and have almost my entire adult life because they seem to me stories that I'll never know everything about. So they're the unknown stories. They're just some, for the most part, anonymous person. In some cases, rare cases, I might know who made the name of the person who made it but it's the amount of hours that go into it, the stitch work. It's just to me, a perfect representation of who we are. And of course it would be women who would principally do this work that would represent us to posterity better than anything. And I was telling somebody this morning, you know, if you thought about the, the epitome of modernism in the 1930s, it might be the bright uh, colors of the rectangles of Piet Mondrian. Well, I've got a, Amish quilt from the 1830s, 100 years earlier, with all of that, all of those hot rectangles. And so I would ask, who is more modern? And so to me, they're just, they're, they're just fascinating, fascinating stories. What are you obsessed with? I'm obsessed with our story. I'm obsessed with us. I have had the great privilege, Connie, of telling stories about the U.S., but I've also had the privilege of telling stories about us. That is the lowercase, two-letter, plural pronoun, all the intimacy of us and we 
and our, and all the majesty and the complexity and the contradiction and the controversy of the US. And in that space, I feel for the last 50 years, I have been privileged and I am obsessed to continue that story. It's the America and the Holocaust. It's the depression film. It's you know uh, the American revolution. It's Leonardo da Vinci. We're working on a history of the Buffalo, which is actually the story of the people who use that from tail to snort. And then the people who for thousands of generations and the people people in three generations brought it down to where it was nearly extinct. And then those same people who, with the original native people, have brought it back from extinction, which is a wonderful parable of de-extinction in a time of, of you know, we're going to find in the next few years as climate change wreaks its inevitable toll that a lot of uh, species will go extinct and it won't just be some obscure insect that a conservative can say who cares about conservative is the word conserve and it's originally based on the idea of keeping god's creation as it was and so you can get upset about a snail darter or this sort of wasp but we're going to find major mammals are going to disappear from our planet and it's on us because we fiddled while literally the earth burned I'm I'm afraid to end it there because it's so dark. But if you wouldn't mind indulging me, one last question. You're notable in tech circles because of the Ken Burns effect, which is a feature in a lot of uh, uh, in, in video editing software. And there the stories about how Steve Jobs convinced you to allow him to name that. And you got some Mac equipment. You donated it, which is wonderful. But um, and for people who don't know what the Ken Burns effect is, go watch a documentary. You'll figure it out pretty quickly. <laughs> and then tell me. I mean, my kids know what it is, but it had Steve tried to explain it to me. And, you know, we, we, I, the bargain I got was a wonderful friendship with him until the end of his life. But it is a kind of superficial version of what we're trying to do to wake up those old photographs that seem more abundant dead and should be held at arm length. We want to get inside them and, and, and read them and, and wake them up and ask them to tell us their stories. Well, I was going to ask when you look, then when we look at your films, a lot of people see the Ken Burns effect. I noticed that you're the music director or that you <laughs> sign off on the music. And I know that you worked in a record store around vinyl when you were a kid, probably at the start of your working life. Um, what do you want to be remembered for as a as a filmmaker? Is it the Ken Burns effect? Is it the music? Oh, Is no. it the whole thing? What? So I, when I was trying to prom, trying to raise money for my first film for PBS, and I looked about 12 years old, and it was on the Brooklyn Bridge, so people delighted in saying, this child is trying to sell me the Brooklyn Bridge. No. And I used to have all these volumes of two big, huge three-ring binders of all the, the turndowns, just to keep me humble, like Ben Franklin. They used to sit on my desk for, for years and years and years. I can't find them now, but they're, I swear, they were like literally... 800 pages of no, sorry, no, sorry, whatever, and, and kind of joking that I was trying to sell them the Brooklyn Bridge. Um, I described that as wanting to be an emotional archaeologist, uninterested in excavating the dry dates and facts and events of the past, but understanding that there was an emotion. I don't mean sentimentality or nostalgia. That's the enemy of good anything, but some higher emotions that could be called up or recalled or invoked. My interest in music is that it's the art, as Wynton Marcel says, of the invisible. Two notes, and it can change your life. It rearranges your molecules. So music is always added in film at the end, and we always work on it from the very beginning because you just, you have to bow down. I, I, my brother said that he thought that every work of art, every kind of art, every genre of art, particularly film, when it dies and goes to heaven, wants to go as music. 
right? It wants to become music. And so I, I agree wholeheartedly with that assessment of his. And, and, and you know, we just, I, I want to make good music. Well, I, I'm glad that you did because now we have all of this amazing work. It's good to just hear you tell your story. And thank you so much. Thank you, Ken Burns, for talking to me. And thank you for listening. I'm So Obsessed was created by our executive producer, Danielle Ramirez. Our editor and lead producer is Sophia Fox Sowell. And this episode was produced by Rebecca Fleener. Please take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. And follow the show on Twitter at I'm So Obsessed Pod. Until next time, take care. <laughs>